The content of CPR Unplugged is designed for entertainment purposes only and is not intended as mental health treatment or medical or mental health advice. Details such as names and locations may have been changed to protect individual privacy. Hello, and welcome to the CPR Unplugged. My name is Rob, and I'm your host, and today we're pleased to be joined by Marie. Welcome, Marie. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, you bet. Thanks for being here. And Marie is a, a therapist. So Murray, tell us a bit about you know, what drew you to become a therapist and to specialize in the area of substance abuse treatment. Well, I would definitely say the, the thing that drew me to this specific area of counseling was my own experiences as an adolescent and a teen and young adult with, with substance use. I went pretty hard in my teen years. I experienced a lot of conflict with my parents. I had a a pretty strong inner rebel. I wanted to do what I wanted to do. I wanted to be very independent. And at the time where we were, you know, drugs was a big part of that culture. And so I got very much into drugs in high school. I was smart, but I was also very, I wasn't super motivated. And so I struggled a lot um, to make connection with people. I struggled a lot to make friends. And when I found the drug culture that really um, became a part of me thinking I had figured I found a place, you know, thinking that I had found a way to fit in and be myself and I didn't feel as angsty or, you know, stressed out and I could just relax. And I mean, while some of that is part of normal growing up, I, I, you know, took it to an extreme for sure. Um, And then when I was 18, right after I graduated from high school, my parents were sort of at their wits end. They didn't know what to do. They had tried several different things to kind of get me grounded and kind of bring me back down from some of the trouble I'd been into. I didn't get any to anything super extreme, luckily. I mean, that's really just a miracle. But one of the things that they really wanted me to do was attend treatment before I went to college. And I agreed to do that which was also kind of another miracle looking back, given that I was so rebellious. But I, I, I knew I had come to a place where I was starting to use drugs and alcohol in a way that was unmanageable. Like it just wasn't, it, I, it was causing more problems than it was solving more problems, which is kind of how it had been at the beginning for me. It had solved a lot of my uh, perceived issues of um, like rejection and just social exclusion and things like that. Um, but then at the very end, it was causing, I mean, it was just wreaking havoc in my life. So um, I agreed to go to treatment. I did go to treatment. And I think that it was there that I learned how much, like it just opened my eyes a lot. It gave me an entirely new perspective about uh, my family um, and like my perceptions versus their perceptions. It gave me an entirely new look at this road and it gave me a a really, really hard look at myself. And I was able to identify that, you know, I had some of these things that were going on that I didn't know how to deal with emotionally. And instead of, and then I had found drugs, which was a solution at the time, but then really long-term I needed to do some work on myself. And it sort of started this process for me that has kept going really throughout. I mean, up until this point, we're never finished with that. You know, and there's been different times in my life where it's looked different. And, uh, but I mean, having that foundation and having that treatment experience really 
helped me in some times in the future that um, were really difficult, not because of my using, but because of the people around me. Um, that became really important right after I had my son. Um, his dad had a drinking problem. And if I hadn't had that experience at treatment, I wouldn't have known where to go for support um, or what to do. And even then it was still difficult. So um, I said, I really am drawn to work in that. I was really drawn to work in that field specifically because I feel like it did create so much change for me. And so what sort of changes are, did you go through that you felt really helped you in the field and in your work today? I think probably some of the biggest ones were just um, learning about just emotional regulation and learning, you know, everybody says coping skills and it's kind of this little buzzword that a lot of people think, well, you just need to, you know, we're going to work on developing coping skills. And I was kind of like, well, what does that even mean? You know, like, what are you talking about when you say coping skills? And even as a therapist, every now and then I'm, I kind of get, I'm like, what are we talking about here? And I feel like basically when I was, when I was younger, I just didn't really know how to cope with uncomfortable feelings and going through the process of not only treatment, but then quite a bit of therapy after that on and off throughout the years, I've been able to identify some of the, um, the things that really come up for a lot of people, whether it's connected with fear of rejection from my childhood and how I had um, really dealt with that inefficiently um, and how I can learn now to deal with it efficiently by addressing like those wounds, whether it's I've done some EMDR as a client. I really love that. I'm trained in EMDR because I feel like that's been really impactful in helping me process through some of those old things that I don't necessarily cognitively connect every day. So you can kind of go back and reprocess through some of those old memories and how they're affecting you and um, some of those old belief systems. Um, I feel like I had a very low sense of self-worth at the time. Um, and then throughout the using and everything that I did with that, it it only worsened that sense of self-worth. So building that has been a big, big part of, of me getting to where I am now. And it's, that's been a process that has ebb, ebbed and flowed. You know, I did a lot of work around my um, like self-esteem and self-worth when I was in treatment. And then that, that continued on a pretty positive trajectory for a while until I entered into the relationship with my son's father. And that was like a, a storm that I just wasn't prepared for. And it was, you know, that is when I kind of reached this um, this point where I had learned a lot and all of the things that I had learned in treatment and through therapy up to that point had helped me deal with all the things in the past, but they hadn't prepared me for that. And I had had heard the term codependency when I was in treatment and, and I had never considered myself a codependent person and was kind of really, you know, had my opinions about what I thought that meant. And then during that relationship, I really um, lost myself and a lot of my self-worth was destroyed and I didn't, I couldn't figure out why. And I was just, you know, and then in the midst of all of this, I got pregnant and I had my son. And after that, I was in this spiral of postpartum depression. that was just, I mean, it was nothing like I'd ever experienced. I'd never suffered from depression before I had anxiety, you know, and, and some of the, and like substance use and stuff, but I'd never been depressed. And so dealing with that, I feel like was a whole new set of obstacles that I I wasn't prepared for, and I knew I was out of my depth. Like I knew I didn't have the skills I needed at that point. And that's when I was like, but I knew that somebody did, somebody had the skills. And so that's when I started going back to therapy and, and dealing with this whole new set of, 
of stuff. But I feel like really the, the most important thing that I got from treatment when I was 18 years old was, um, you know, learning that we're not always equipped to deal with all the things that come at us, but somebody is. Somebody has done the training and done the work and that's their whole job is to, you know, if you've hit a place in your life where you're like, I don't know what to do. And, you know, I've been using drugs and alcohol to numb out or I've been, you know, using whatever it is um, and that's not working anymore. You know, that, that somebody, whoever they are, that counselor or that social worker or, you know, does have the tools and they can help you through that. And after I was able to kind of go through that experience, after my son was born, that was when I was really inspired to become a counselor because I was just like, man, I couldn't have, I mean, I'm sure I could have survived, but. Uh, I, I definitely would have struggled a lot more than I did if I hadn't had that, that sort of support and guidance. Um, and even to someone to listen to, somebody to validate what you said um, and what you're going through and, and give you kind of brainstorm strategies like, well, you know, how can we, what can you do? What are, what are you doing that you could do differently? I mean, just even having that kind of support was really vital to me getting through some of these times in my life and that's why I definitely was drawn to being a counselor because I felt like I wanted to be that for other people once I was ready <laughs> it took a long time for me to feel like I was even ready you know I didn't want to be the drowning person trying to save other drowning people but um it definitely inspired me to get to that point so it's sort of like a pay it forward situation where someone shared with you and helped you through the difficulties that you had with substances and then you got into the field as a way to pay it forward and carry the message to other people as well it sounds like absolutely i mean and that's i feel like that is one of the things that really drives most recovery that's happening today because without support and connection and somebody being there for you who who's been there in some form or another we feel isolated. I mean, isolation is one of the things that really contributes to a lot of people getting to a point where they feel hopeless, they feel lost, they feel completely alone. And even if I could be that person that was just their therapist or, you know, that, that could make them normalize some of what they're going through and teach them about, you know, this experience and, and even just be the person that's not going to judge them, that would be, you know, extremely useful and I wanted to I definitely wanted to make that a part of who I was and what I wanted to do. Right I, I agree with you that that isolation is is uh, a biggie when it comes to substance use and that feeling of being alone and that uh, no one understands and that you're as a therapist and as somebody who's already kind of walked that path that uh, you're, you're somebody that can lead by example and, and be able to share the same sort of skills and tools that you learned uh, with someone else and to let them know that they're not alone, that, uh, that there are other people there that can, can help them walk that path as well. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, and it is difficult again, like even like, I definitely felt that way when I was using as a teenager, but it was amazing to me when I got to be an adult, like I, I came out of the substance use, I went to college, I got a degree, I got a job after that. And then as an adult woman with a degree and all this experience, I still, I guess there was a part of me that thought like I knew better, you know, because I'd done all this stuff. And then all of a sudden I'm in this situation where I'm in this codependent relationship that's very unhealthy, and very toxic, and, and I couldn't see it. 
like for the life of me. I just couldn't figure out. And that was probably one of the darkest times. And it's interesting because I was completely, I mean, sober, totally sober. He was drinking a lot. And I, and it, it just opened my eyes a lot because I used to have this very sort of, um, unfortunately, like judgmental tone toward people who stayed in unhealthy relationships. Like you would hear somebody talk about it and you're like, you just need to leave, you know, like, what are you doing? You know, there's that judgment that in the, in the back of my head would kind of roll around. And then I found myself in a situation that was very toxic, very unhealthy. And, and then sort of in the midst of that, I got pregnant with my son. And then I had to deal with all of my expectations about what I thought my family was going to look like. You know, you have to deal with these and it's yourself kind of resisting, like, you know, you're not supposed to be there. You know, this is unhealthy and I'm not happy, but you're fighting. You think you're this like warrior for your, you know, for the one you love and you have all these ideas about, you know, I'm going to be there to save them and I'm going to help them and all this stuff. And I think that was when, and I, I, I started reaching out and going to Al-Anon for a little bit. And that really kind of woke me up as well, that like, it's not my job to save this person. My behavior isn't going to affect the outcome for them. Like I can't, you know, if I, I kind of was in this weird delusional state. And again, like you don't sleep a lot when you're, when your baby is first born, I was very sleep deprived and I was hormonal and I, you know, and I just couldn't figure out how to make everything okay. And I kept thinking these thoughts, like if I'm just the perfect mom and the perfect partner and if the house is clean and if the laundry's done and I cook and I, the baby's perfect, like then he won't need to drink or he won't want to drink. And, and I couldn't even, even given that I had struggled with substance abuse in the past, I didn't understand um, this dynamic and what was happening. And I just tried so hard because, and now, now that I've done a lot of work from that side of things, I'm able to realize that, you know, that's just a coping mechanism. We're trying to lessen the chaos. And that was, you know, an inefficient coping skill that I was engaging with. And so now, you know, kind of recovering from that relationship and recovering from the codependency piece, I have to really rebuild my self-esteem and know that I'm worth it and understand that it's not my job to make this person better. I can support them if they want to get better, um, but I can't, I can't create the, the scenario that's going to make them want to get clean. That has to come from them. And so it's interesting that I've kind of had a little bit of experience on both sides so to speak. Like I've, I've definitely been in, in a relationship with someone who was definitely suffering from al an alcohol use disorder. And I, I felt the effects of that and what that did. And then I've also been in that codependent spot where our, you know, uh, my, my self-worth was completely wrapped up in this other person and it, it had been completely obliterated. And so I feel like that, like I've done some rebuilding. There's been a couple of rebuilding phases in my life right after treatment was definitely a rebuilding phase for me. And then right after I finally decided to end that relationship with my son's father. That was another big rebuilding phase for me. And it took a lot of gratitude lists and, you know, um, positive affirmations and saying them, even though I didn't believe them and, you know, learning appropriate ways to express my anger and acknowledge the rejection and, and work through a lot of those really uncomfortable feelings. But I did. And I know, I know that even though it was an unprecedented, like I felt completely unprepared the second time all of this got really, like my life got really dark, I still wasn't. Like there were still things that I had learned throughout like at treatment and, and the therapist right after treatment that really helped me at least know where to go. And then I, I applied a lot of the same skills, 
you know, reconnect with people um, who are going through what you're going through, find support, and then learn again, like it's about learning how to deal with feelings, how to sit with those, how to process them instead of just getting loaded. And, and you know, because that's always a temptation. <laughs> right. And that always seems to be one of the contributing factors, like you mentioned earlier, that difficulties with emotional regulation, issues with self-esteem and self-image. And I hear that a lot as well as a therapist of uh, reasons why people drink and use is uh, trying to manage those sort of things, uh, but it's in an, an unhealthy manner. Yeah. And that's one of the things that I try to focus on with the clients that I work with now is, and I mean, I have I have the clients I have for such a short amount of time, a month really isn't, I mean, and that's the maximum stay because I'm at the PhD level, is not a whole lot of time to really get into some of the work that I really see that needs to be done. But I try to just do some of the basics because I feel like sometimes as a therapist, when I was coming into working, I was kind of like grandiose, like I'm going to do all this and I'm going to change all this and I'm going to help all these people. And I kind of had to, there was a moment where I had to kind of check my, check my shoes. And I figured out that, um, there is, there's only so much that I can do. And so I thought, well, what would I, what did I benefit the most from in treatment? And it was getting reconnected with my feelings and learning how to deal with them, learning to identify them even. I mean, I have some people who are so disconnected from their feelings. They don't even know what they're feeling because they've been getting loaded for so long. And it, it you know, just like what had, what had happened with me when I started I started with smoking weed when I was like 14 or 15. And then just progressively, that was my only skill. That was my only way to calm down. That was my only way to relax or have fun or whatever. And I just, I didn't even, I didn't even know a lot of the times what I was feeling. I just didn't want to feel anything. And, you know, I have people who come in and they've been doing drugs for about, you know, the same amount of time. They started around the same time I did 14 or 15, but now they're in their forties and they never stopped doing drugs. So trying to connect them with their feelings has been, it's, it's a challenge sometimes because they just come in and they're just like, I'm just upset and I don't know what it is. And, and so really helping people to understand like, you know, this is what a feeling is. This is how it happens. There's usually a concomitant belief system behind any, any emotional state you're in. And let's look at the beliefs that you have about what this person did or about what happened. And, and let's connect those to, you know, why you're feeling the way you're feeling and what can you do about it? And it's, you know, just those are like the baby steps, the 101 that I try to try to work with my clients the most with, because I felt like that, that was one of the things that I, that I needed the most that I, that stayed with me that has been useful for me in my life. And it's still a struggle. I'm not perfect at it even to this day. I mean, I teach it <laughs> a mm -hmm. weekly daily and it's still, sometimes I'm like, okay, I don't know what's going on there, but I, I'm I'm grateful that someone did that for me and I'm grateful now that I'm able to do it with other people because it's amazing. They say you really get to, you. It, things sink in the most when you're teaching them, not just when you're practicing them. Or, and so some of those things I've really felt like I, I knew them and I used them in my personal life, but when I get to teach them, not only does somebody else benefit, but I really kind of like, ah, like I can teach something that I've taught in a psychoeducation for, you know, it'll be the sixth time I've gone through it and I'll make a connection that I'm like, Oh, like I didn't, I never thought about it like that before. And it's amazing because now in the setting I'm in, 
I still learn things from my clients. Like that's one of the things that I love about counseling so much is that I benefit and not in a selfish way, but like I benefit from hearing other people's takes on things, hearing other people, you know, this is what it was like for me. And this is how this happened. It's really amazing. And it's, it's, I feel like it has given me more perspective than I could have ever like dreamed of. One of the other things, Marie, that you mentioned a little while ago that you said uh, that you're certified in and that uh, you felt helped you as well is EMDR. Mm -hmm. Could you tell us a little bit about EMDR and how that helped you and how you see that helping other people that you see now? Yes, absolutely. So um, EMDR, and it's, it's getting a little bit more popular. I feel like people kind of have a little bit more recognition when you say that. Um, it's, it stands for eye movement, desensitization, and reprocessing. And I mean, it was created not too long ago in terms of clinical, um, uh, clinical modalities. It's pretty new. I think it's about 40 or so years old. I mean, I think they start, Francine Shapiro kind of introduced AIP, which is the, uh, the, meth, the uh, theory behind it, I think in the 70s, 70s or 80s. And so basically all it is, is uh, it's a set of bilateral stimulation and you can either follow a light bar with your eyes or you can follow someone's fingers and they move them back and forth at your eye level or you can, you know, I have little buzzies that they can hold and it buzzes in each hand um, and there's like headphones and it'll beep in each ear. Um, so it's however the person is more comfortable. And basically all it does is it stimulates the brain and activates a part of it that is normally not like functioning when you're in your waking state. Normally it's the part of the brain that only functions when you're in REM sleep state. And it can, and it's really, the purpose of it is to specifically target a feeling or a memory. And when you go through and you use the bilateral simulation, it'll hopefully, you can reprocess it as a waking person that's rational. And you can, um, it desensitizes the memory. So the purpose is to kind of take some of the emotional charge out of the memory or situation or belief or whatever it is. And I did it as a client, even back, like I did it in treatment and even a little bit before treatment, my mom had a, I'd found somebody back in our hometown who did it, which was like pretty miraculous now, like nobody. <laughs> we lived in a town that was kind of like in rural New Mexico and it was way behind the times. So I'm impressed that she, had done that, but really it, to me, I equate it because I've done it as a client and I like using it as a practitioner, but as a client, the thing that I experienced with that is I equate it to, you know, when you're in the airport and there's the moving sidewalks that can help you get places faster. It's like walking on one of those, like your thoughts are just rapid firing and you can process through and make connections so much quicker than, than just with talk therapy. And to me, that was really awesome. Like I could process through, I mean, it just feels like everything is moving at lightning speed in your brain and you're able to make connections. And, and what's really cool about that is that a lot of the insight and connections and resolution comes from within. It comes from within you. It's not, you know, the therapist is very, is really not doing much. They're holding that emotional space for you. And that's pretty much it. You are doing all of the work, so to speak, on your own and it's amazing how quickly that can help you feel better. Yeah, it, like you said, it has gotten a lot more popular in, in the last few years here and it has shown uh, good results for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I know that 
and I know it's not for everybody. I don't want to, <laughs> to say, and I know that there are some people who are just, I mean, they are EMDR all the way. It'll cure anything. It'll take away all the trauma. And I, I do believe it is a very, very useful tool, but I'm also, I'm not convinced that it'll work the same way for everyone. Um, Cause I've definitely seen it not, you know, people are just not about it. They're like, nah, uh, wasn't my jam. And I'm like, okay, that's totally fine. You know? <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, but I do, I have seen a lot of people. And again, my personal experience with it has been very positive. And I have seen a lot of people report that they, they really got a lot from that, that form of therapy. So another tool in the toolkit. Exactly. I mean, it's, it's one of those things I remember in grad school, they're kind of introducing you to all these different modalities and theory, you know, and are you going to be this kind of therapist or that kind of therapist? And they're like, I remember one of my professors said, you know, don't make the mistake of saying I'm an eclectic because that just means you're not good at anything. <laughs> but I, as I'm a, as I'm getting into like, again, like longer into the field and I, I do realize that, yeah, it's not good to pick and choose from, you know, all the different modalities, but it is good to have several different ways to do this because no two people are alike. And if you only do things one way, ultimately, you're gonna you're not gonna get to as many people as you need to. So I feel like you know you got to be kind of flexible. Have one or two or three things that you're really good at, and and that'll kind of be. You can usually find if you do have one or two or three methods that you really are good at, you can usually find a way to get to pretty much anybody with that. So I was that always stuck with me. I was like God. You know, I don't want to just do one thing forever, you know, that's why I became a therapist. Right. Yeah, I agree. Like trying to fit everybody into that one box is. Yeah. It just, in my, but, in my experience, it's not done work that way. Right. Having that flexibility, like you said, is important. Yes, definitely. Well, Marie, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been a pleasure. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. And Yeah, um, absolutely. Is yeah. there anything you would like to leave us with? Any takeaways you'd like to leave a, a message to anyone who, who may still be suffering um, with substance use that, uh, that you might find helpful for them at this moment? I mean, my biggest thing that I want everybody to feel and I try to drive it home for clients and friends or whoever is that no matter what you're going through, if it's you know, substance use, if you're struggling with that, if you're struggling with depression, if you're struggling with, you know, postpartum, I know there's a lot of shame that goes around with that. And, and we have a tendency to think that we're the only ones. And it's so hard in this culture that really is, is full of a lot of shame for us to reach out and know that, and it takes a lot of vulnerability to do that. But what I want everybody to know, if they're going to take away one thing is that you're not alone in that. No matter what, there is somebody else that feels the same shame, that feels the same apprehension that about talking with people about what's going on with them. But it is so important because, you know, human beings are so hardwired for connection that we need that to get better. And if we don't, if we don't realize that other people are going through what we've been through, then we're, we'll be less likely to reach out. So I just would encourage anybody, if whatever you're struggling with, to, to reach out. Absolutely. Here, here. <laughs> well, thank you again, Marie, so much for joining us today on CPR Unplugged. It's been a pleasure to talk with you, and we shall see you next time. All right. Thank you so much again for having me.
Got questions or ideas for the podcast? Or perhaps you have your own story to share. We'd love to hear from you. Email us at podcast at crisisprepandrecovery.com or call 602-281-7795. You can also find us online at cprpodcast.podbean.com or wherever you prefer to find your podcasts. CPR Unplugged was produced by Crisis Preparation and Recovery, Inc. The intro and outro music was created by Rob Wilson. The CPR podcast team includes Tamara Lamontine, Ben Edwards, Laura Kaufman, Rob Wilson, and Michael Magarinos. Special thanks to Jason Spisak for technical support. 